Awesome. Hey, Nyak. Hey, Makundwa. Hey, everyone. We should say hey to everyone first. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome. Hey, girls and gays. <laughs> welcome to the room. Welcome to the room. Welcome back to our podcast. Mm-hmm. I said what I said, but it's soon going to be called... I know. The World According to Makundwa. Because that. it is. And we're all just blessed to witness. I know. You're all blessed to witness. Um, so I'm Makundwa, your host. Hey, Mukundwa. And who are you, Nyak? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I'm Nyakwezi, your co-host, your uh, sidekick. Yes, and we've got a very special guest. Yes, um, indeed. But before we get into that, I just want to give a trigger warning and chat a bit about what we're going to discuss today. So we're going to talk about death and suicide. Trigger warning, trigger warning, trigger warning. Um, this podcast, I think we've never really talked about our intentions with this podcast. So I'm really interested in asking questions and exploring topics that we all think about at night that we might not want to talk about with the people we love the most because we're afraid to offend or be judged. And really, often these are basic ass topics that we all think about, but we don't find forums to discuss them. Death is one of them. Um, death and sex, I feel, are what make us who we are and why we're here. But those are the topics we talk about the least. So I'm really interested in talking about and kind of democratizing the talk about the discussions around death and suicide. Um, they're not only for health professionals. They're not only for people with mental health issues. They're not only for people who've experienced death. If you're alive, you have an opinion and it should be heard. And I think it can help people so that we don't feel alone. And so that, um, we kind of normalize these discussions because I think you can't heal or help or improve something you can't even talk about. So the reason I'm saying this is hopefully you've come to this podcast through my Onyakwezi's Instagram, so you know the kind of people we are. Um, we're very compassionate, we're very passionate and kind, but I'm definitely not here to coddle anyone or comfort anyone. If you are comforted from the things I say, that is amazing, but I'm here to make you kind of to prompt you to think and to be a bit uncomfortable so that you can reach a comfortable space of knowing. So if anything we say in this podcast is uncomfortable or you disagree or it's offensive, that's okay. Um, You've entered my space. This is not a safe space. This is a space of being rattled. Um, But you've entered and welcome to the cage with me. (laughs) Um, uh, But you know, that's all through love. Um, So I'm really about... That I didn't leave corporate and I didn't leave spaces where I felt like a prisoner so that I could start a podcast and feel like a prisoner here too. So just take this message on for anything we discuss in the future that I'm not here to comfort coddle or um, panda. I'm here to ask important questions that I'm interested in. And I want to bring people along that journey who also want to kind of interrogate the same things. So that is the longest trigger warning in history. <laughs> um, and now I'd like to welcome our illustrious, baddest bitch, thought leader, gorgeous, intelligent, provocative, Ushba. Welcome. Ushba. <laughs> pew, pew, pew. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I want to jump right into it. I want us to talk about, all three of us, just to prime the discussion, what our relationship to kind of death and suicide is how we were introduced, how we feel, how that's changed. Um, and I don't know, Shba, if you want to start with like discussing where you are now, but where you've been before in terms of death and suicide. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> um, okay, so um, as Mukunba said, my name is Ushba, and this is the first time 
that I am very publicly speaking about this. And I feel like I have to preface uh, my experience by firstly saying that, um, I mean, it goes without saying that all the views that I sh- uh, share here are my own. And I am not trying to encourage anyone to be suicidal or to be depressed or any of those things. But I really feel like if you don't actually openly talk about these issues and you don't air out your fears, it becomes like a stagnated uh, water body, which just the more Mm. it stagnates, the more it rots and Mm -hmm. uh, the more it stinks. But there's really no way to know how bad it is until you uncover it and you let the light in you know Um, absolutely that's how I've always uh, thought of it like anything that is considered too taboo or too risky or too provocative a topic to be openly discussed Um, interesting I really like that uh, yeah so essentially I would say that I first so now that I look back I can see that I was all I have always suffered from depression but mm-hmm. when I was younger I didn't have a language for it so a lot of times yeah. my symptoms would be uh, classified as personality traits oh Ushba always just is a crybaby when I was way younger or oh she always just likes to uh, fight or she is so uh, you know this or that and uh, there were a lot of things that even today I still am trying to unpack. And I think it is important for me to do that because if I don't really kind of explore what I think is me, then I really won't know how I want to really live uh, as truly, um, you know, as true as possible to myself. Um but so I was born and raised in Oman, uh, but my family is originally from Pakistan. So we've always had that immigrant uh, mentality, which is like it, it's a huge part, I think, of my story because uh, it really kind of also touches upon feeling like an another or like an other and not feeling like you really belong because I never really felt like I belonged to Pakistan or to Oman and then when I turned 18 I moved to London uh, for my university studies Mm -hmm. and that was a whole other experience like I myself became a pseudo immigrant because a pseudo immigrant because I went in with a lot of privilege that for example my parents didn't have but at the same time I like struggled a lot like it took me a whole year just to adjust to the city um, and then because it was the first time that I was away from my family, that was the first time that I really, like my symptoms were uh, so much more exasperated. Like at first I thought it was just homesickness. Um, and then it just became this mentality of, oh, I just like to cry a lot or every day or every two days to kind of process my emotions. And so on and so forth and up until that point even I don't think that I suffered from anxiety or anxiety as I have it now 
Um, so by the time I finished my first bachelor's, which was in 2014, because I had been working really, really hard and I felt like the harder I worked, the less effort I saw or the less like results I saw. So I was mm. just kind of burning out without realizing that I was. And I now looking back, like I feel a lot of compassion for myself because I was clearly going through a lot and but I wasn't yeah. willing to accept that I was or willing to admit that I needed a break or maybe that I needed to just tell someone that I'm really afraid of failing or not being able to do what I set out to do and that was you know going back to that immigrant mindset of once you start that journey you cannot fail you mm, like you yeah. have to just like build on what your you know elders like laid the foundation for and you just have to build on it you can't there is no space for you to say that i need a time out i'm really tired or i'm suffering and uh maybe just maybe i should like stop um yeah. and when you can't do that like it really fucks up your mind <laughs> because mm. there is so much that you're trying to prove to yourself um anyway so like fast forward another year like the uh, in 2015 is when like it really like the shit hit the fan um mm -hmm. and i also must say that i will constantly make very uh creative and i feel like high standard humor jokes if you don't get it that's your fault <laughs> hey tell him um, tell because them. if a bitch doesn't have humor to deal with this like there is nothing uh, that can you know fucked. um help mm -hmm. you uh but anyways so in 2015 i started law school and that's when i like really uh, like i remember when i started i was just so ambitious i was like i'm going to be the baddest bitch that anyone has ever seen and the best grades and everything but as the year progressed like the more I my mental health just deteriorated and then there came a point in time that like I mean even now like there are times a whole like a whole period of time that I can't remember it like mm -hmm. I try to recall that period and all I can kind of vi like visualize is like a long dark night um because oh, yeah. I guess my I was just in like so much mental and I would also say spiritual uh, agony that I just couldn't I mean I guess my mind doesn't want to access that right now <laughs> yeah um but yeah so all of that to say that I remember like when I was trying to do my exams like it was so bad that I would like I had spots in the city of London that like I would be like this is the place that I'll choose to take my life from like I know that I, this is how I can access it and this is how I want to die I remember like in 2016 I because before that the whole year I had spent like sitting with the question of death and what mm. death meant to me why I wanted to not live anymore why i didn't think the world was the world had a space for me and i still mm. don't think that it does have a space for me but now i know that i can try and make space for me um mm. and also just questioning like why why was it that f because i am a muslim like suicide is forbidden in islam 
um, so why was suicide a no-no? And instead of just like, I wasn't satisfied the with the answer that, oh, it is forbidden because it is forbidden and that's a bad thing. And that was it. Because to me, mm-hmm. wanting to take my life at that point in time, I would never even use the word suicide in my head. Like, it's very recent that I'm able to use that word because I never thought of it as me committing suicide. It was me choosing to exert control over an existence which was so much pain. And Mm -hmm. But then I would try to find reasons as to this is why I'm in pain and I, I didn't have a source. I remember once talking to a doctor and he was like, did you go through a breakup? And I just wanted to laugh because I was like, I wish, I wish it was just that. I wish it was that, yeah. But a boy could never. Um, Never, no rage to do this. Or I remember like once I was having a meltdown. Wow, okay, this feels really cathartic sharing here because wow, fuck whiteness. Because I remember having a meltdown in front of a friend who I thought was very understanding. He was a white guy. And I remember like, mm -hmm. I was just like in the throes of it and just like bawling my eyes out. And then he just straight up goes like, oh yeah, it must be so difficult for you you being a woman where you come from. And I remember just like snapping out of my like meltdown and being like, what the fuck? Like, why did I just suffer a microaggression even though I'm going through it? And I remember just wanting to like hit himself and I didn't hit himself. And I regret that. To this day, I, and I regret that. Yeah, too. we were regretting it on your behalf. <laughs> yeah, I really did want to just like whack him and be like, "Shut the fuck up and please leave me alone." Um, but anyways, like point being that coming back to like my relationship, I think it was the first time that I started having a very active relationship with death, in the sense that I was exploring there was not a day that went by when I was not thinking about that that to me became a destination which was my respite from everything that I thought I was feeling at in life Uh, be it my Mm. academic life be it my personal life be it my spiritual life and to me like dying I think the reason why I became so yeah obsessed with it was in that mind, like not only was I severely depressed and anxious, but it was also the fact that anxiety will like your anxiety when you suffer from anxiety will you can be triggered by the most mundane thing. It could be something like you miss a bus and that could just set the tone for the whole day. Or it could be something, you know, like an academic paper or something. And depression is just like, you know, depression is the antithesis to life not death depression is like depression is the way i see it everything that is not life death is part of life but depression is it's like a malware if that makes sense yeah yeah Yeah. um that is wow i love that's powerful because people tend People who have not suffered from depression tend to talk about it as if it's an attitude. It's not. It, there is so much that goes on. There's mm-hmm. your genetic history, your brain chemistry. There's 
like your hormones for women, you know, who suffer from like hormonal disorders. It can, it can be so many things that all come together for you to then have that mental uh, instability. Mm. But um, all of that to say that uh, anxiety would make me dysfunctional in the most mundane things and depression would make me want to die. And death was always of a higher value because it made me realize that even though I was so absolutely failing at life, I could not fail at death. Like, and because I am a religious person, wow. like, and a spiritual person, I also knew that there was no way that God would let me down. Humans could let me down, but God would mm. not. And I would just go back to God. And that is like yeah. all I wanted. Like, all I wanted was to go back. And to be in God and to not have to, like, try so hard and constantly fail. Um, so I, like, started looking into, like, all, everything. Like, I would, like, talk to my Buddhist friends about it. I would talk to my yogi friends about it. I would talk to the atheists about it. I would talk to, like, spiritual meditators about, like, why? Why is suicide or death such a like why is suicide in particular like such a negative thing or why are all of these different religions or these different spiritual philosophies or teachers or you know whoever like um advising you against it um because for example in islam another thing that's of a huge um I guess like not it's not celebrated but it's also not discouraged is martyrdom like if you fight mm -hmm. in the name of your country or in the name of your religion or if you if you die while you were fighting or for example the souls who you know the people who died in the recent New Zealand um, attacks uh, yes. m Muslims around the world will agree that they were martyred they wouldn't think of them as murdered or you know they were mm. Uh, worshiping and they were devoting their time to God and it was just a, it was just such a tragic event that had nothing to do with who they were as like I guess humans um, mm -hmm. or maybe like it, it had all to do with their faith not with their lifestyle I guess um, but I anyway see, I see. Uh, all of that to say that like I just like it really annoyed me <laughs> that you could choose to give up your life for like all of these things, but you couldn't choose up to like choose to give up your life for, for example, because you were suffering from mental health. Right. Um, yeah, like for only, you, there was only one right reason to give up your life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And at the yeah. at the same time, like I was also working in. Um, I was working, I was volunteering my time in a human rights organization in London. Uh, it's called Helen Bamber Foundation. And if you do have the time, please do check their work out because it's really incredible work that they do. And it's so needed because they work with victims of human trafficking, torture, rape, mm -hmm. genocide, name it, you know. And so I would, because I would often be filing or doing reception duties, like I would read like all of these stories and all of these files, these incredible stories of human perseverance. And I 
also would be so baffled that like these people had chosen not to give up and then here mm. i was knowing that i just didn't want to exist uh it mm. was i never yeah. thought of it as me giving up it was me very like intellectually speaking it was me knowing that this wasn't the place for me or this wasn't the existence yeah. that i wanted um and yeah. i remember like once coming across this one client she was she was absolutely beautiful and her daughter was also like just such a beautiful baby i hope that they are thriving now i really do um and she was from um bosnia i think and she uh had been raped by um the troops and uh the baby that she had was a result of that and i remember like uh reading her file and the therapist had noted down that the reason this woman had chosen not to kill herself was because she was a muslim and because she didn't want to be punished and i remember like being so angry at that not because i wanted that woman to give up her life or to kill herself but because feeling this deep anger that someone was raped and someone went through this horrible thing and then the only reason they're choosing to exist in this world is because they don't yeah. want a fucked up hereafter yeah. or a fucked up afterlife and i just like again that made me so angry because yeah, i was like that's is. not a good enough reason to live like just because no it's like, not which, like, I mean, I must say, you know, just that, which reminds me kind of like what you've been saying, Mukundua, about like that will, that choice for living, you know, making that choice as opposed to just automatically assuming yes. that you have to be here. So to, um, in, just to um, jump in, um, Ushba, so I was talking to Nyak about this and I was talking about myself, about how for me, if you don't embrace an opposite, you can't, you don't have choice. So you choose the light only if you've contemplated and and like refused the darkness or you choose to do something good because you've given yourself the the right and the choice to do something quote unquote bad so in the same way i don't think you can enjoy life if you haven't contemplated death and chosen against it but when you feel like you don't have a choice to die when that's yeah. not an option if you have no options then you're a slave to the thing that you're in and so in many ways, if you feel you can't kill yourself, you're a slave to life. And for me, that's no, that sounds quite similar to what you were saying with that woman, mm. where if she hasn't given her that, if she hasn't given herself the choice, and if there's no choice, like what is life if not like the, life is the option to have choices. Yeah. Like freedom is choices. Mm. I mean, I think it goes both ways. Uh, one thing that I would also like to flag up at this point in the conversation is that we have to acknowledge that the fact that the three of us are having this conversation and whoever is listening in have a very similar mindset and a very even if we were brought up in different parts of the world we have a very um similar millennial mm. upbringing where we overlap in ways because i know that for example given the things that uh for example certain let's say south africans have gone to the apartheid or uh like even for example what 
certain things that my father has gone through or other members of my family, I know that if they viewed life the same way that we are, which is very kind of intellectual and very academic and very kind of this Western inquiry into things, um, they would not have succeeded the way they have. Because for certain mindsets, knowing that you don't have that choice or having that like spiritual or that religious uh not only guidance, but like almost like this rigidity actually helps you mm, thrive. I, I really do think that. Like it really does. And I think that's one of the reasons why I wouldn't, I, I cannot say that I have the answer as to why I should be alive. I like have, if someone, I don't have the answer to that right now. Like I don't but i know that i am choosing to live despite not mm-hmm. having the answer and i am okay with mm-hmm. not having that answer i do hope that one day maybe i will and maybe i will never get that answer and that's okay as well um but i know that uh that's not the experience for everyone because there are people who need to know that some things are not a possibility for them to then make out of a very difficult situation whatever it is that's quite interesting because i know maybe that's also where we differ is that like i definitely so what i do i don't think it's every year but it's at every kind of touch point which i can't really measure in time but I do this thing where I like apply to be alive, but I do it in my head. And so basically, um, I started at quite a young age. I would basically visualize like a jury of myself and I'd have to apply for why I deserve to like stay here and take up all the oxygen and all the land. And I'd have all these reasons. And that quite, that satisfied me, like knowing that it was a choice. I guess because as a kid, I've always viewed this is optional. This has a really optional ride. Mm -hmm. And if I want to get off and go play with the angels and the fairies Mm. and whatever's in the next dimension, like I have that choice. Um, And the one time Mm. uh, my sister was in like Vietnam and then I was in a recruitment job. And for the first time when I applied in my head for a reason to live, I didn't have any. Wow. And yeah, and I was, Mm. it it fucked me up nice and good because I was like, I don't, it was really weird. Like that was the first time, I don't know, everything felt really, you know, when you sleep on your arm and you wake up and it's all rubbery, everything just felt like that, like pretty numb, pretty pale, like no color, no taste in food. It was all super weird. Mm. So like life wasn't bad. It just wasn't good either. No, it was, well, it was, it was numb. Life Mm. didn't. Yeah. I wouldn't really know I was Mm. alive for the fact that I had like senses. It's Mm. hard to explain, but it was just opaque basically. Mm. Um, Yeah. And so that's when I. I sought help for that because I knew that I still wanted to be alive. So the jury had said, well, then go to the next ride. And I knew that I still wanted to be alive because I want to experience there's certain kinds of bliss. I still want to experience. And that was like the red flag for me. But I guess for me, I do believe. And for my life, I am quite comfortable if I get to that jury and I have no reasons because I've experienced the bliss I've experienced the things I want to. 
I do believe in loads of dimensions and I do believe in loads of levels to this shit. And so I'm super interested in going on to yeah. the next kind yeah. of ride. Mm. And that's in a similar way to you. That's how I see it. Mm. I kind of see it as a door opening, not necessarily as death as a final thing, but as opening the next door to the next chapter, but leaving behind a lot of the, well, all of the yeah. physical stuff. So I want to know, like, if you... Have you... um Sorry, I was just going to ask, like, have the both of you ever reflected on how many times you have died in the past? Ooh. Mm. In this life or in, the, in our past lives? In this life, in this life. How many times you've died in this life? That's so interesting. What does that mean? For example, I know that the person that I was when I was 18 has completely died mm. but that doesn't mean that it's removed yeah, from me that person is just no longer there mm-hmm. the person that i was even at I 23 has died absolutely um mm-hmm. and again it's not saying how many is it how many do you think it is for me yeah i don't know i think i've lost count but also because i don't quantify it as like that one that two but it's sometimes you suddenly like have this epiphany that I'm no longer that person that was, uh, you know, at the age of 18. And I think I, it helps me to have that mentality, especially when I'm going through my journals and I will see this person who is so different. And instead, I try to shun the shame that rises out of me when I'm reading my journals. Because, wow, um, <laughs> the embarrassment is real. But also just realizing that you have evolved out of it and that person was there for a reason. Absolutely. But now that person is no longer there. So there's no point in trying to identify or to feel any sort of I love responsibility that. for that person you were at whatever age. Oh, I have a question from that. I mean, so yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, Ushba, as you were talking, talking about like death, I was thinking it's really becomes a problem then sometimes when you die, but everything around you is from the Mm -hmm. life of the old you. So your friends reflect the old you who's dead. Your job reflects the old you. Your parents are still engaging with you as the old you. And so Nyak, I wonder if like even your desire to travel is maybe you're shedding the skin of the old you. And I wonder if part of it is like being in a new space where like everything is new. You can move into a new space. You know, it might be. I know that um, when I was in high school, I couldn't wait to get to university just so that I could reinvent myself because I was done with the life that I was, you know, in high school. And that's exactly what I did. Like I was a new name, a new person. I was wild around the edges. Mm. Like I was such, I was a ruler in, you know, in high school. I was just, just, you could, you could draw a line with my, (laughs) my morals. Um, But yeah, university was very different. And then I think and then after that, even, you know, like I, I, you are right. I've waited or I've tried to look for different, um, transition points to just like shed old skin, but I've, I'd never looked at it that way. Um, Ushba. So that's really interesting to bring that, that visual, you know, and that way of thinking about it, like shedding an old life. In South Asian culture, or it's also called Desi culture, um, there is like a lot of, a lot a lot of imagery about this sort of uh reinvention uh evolution that 
but again the language like so much of it is lost in translation because the language is like mm-hmm. it makes a huge difference for example like nowadays i find it really difficult to tell anyone who doesn't speak english and who is desi that i suffer from depression or anxiety because i hate using the words depression and anxiety mm-hmm. the english words to explain that because they have a very specific white mm. people connotation and i think that i would right. have suffered a lot less if i also didn't have that same mindset that oh i can't have those things i cannot have a right. eating disorder right, right, right. i can't have a bulimia or binge eating or whatever the hell because that's what white people do it, like it doesn't matter if that sounds mm. ignorant or it's just a very cultural thing and i feel like that's something that i constantly yes. have to like think of because a depression is seen as a very like mm. ha, ha ha this person suffers from depression oh i feel the test and i have depression now whereas like for me now whenever i hear anyone say it especially when they're talking about it when they're joking is when i know it's very likely very real because it's also trying to again mm. air that water out that stink out by the way of a joke that oh i'm going to kill myself like which is like 90% of twitter <laughs> which is just like yeah literally literally but i think it's it's a genuine expression of like how hard people find their life to be it's not it's not something that's a joke to them they choose to express it as a joke but it's not a joke and when you express that in a language at least for me which is urdu or punjabi like uh i feel like there's no i have not found a word for a translation for these disorders which is very frustrating because mm. just to be able to explain to my parents or to my mom what anxiety mm. is like i feel like i still fail to this day they get it but i cannot just give them this one word that encompasses the experience yeah. and that is very frustrating because how do you because again the danger is that then that just becomes your personality trait this person is a bitch because she likes being a bitch you know and then i i mean i i assume then it also cuz you get no recognition nobody you can you can get no compassion like yeah, it's, no, it's not it's valid. just this thing that almost Yeah, it's a very odd thing when there is no language to express. It's almost like being a child again when you have oh, no language that. to express the shit you're going through. Yeah. Everyone yeah. just labels you the crybaby. Yeah. You know? And so, kids don't have language. That's why don't. I literally as much as I'm like, "Oh my gosh, being a kid was like the salad days. It was so nice." Not having language. I even remember as a kid in my head being like, "I I don't have the mm. words to explain and mm. outsmart this adult, but I know yeah. what I'm saying." And yeah. like Yeah, I think that's definitely an an interesting um complexity that people who speak more than or people who who operate not in their mother tongue. Yeah. kind of navigate yeah. like yeah. just not having the the words and the texture. Yeah. Um because English is like pretty pretty yeah. plain. But even me that was that was raised speaking English and yeah. it's the only language I know, only in the last um like 3 4 years I've allowed myself to accept even though i'm i you know english is the only language that i know as a mother tongue that mm-hmm. only 3 years ago i allowed myself to accept that depression or anxiety um so obviously not um de- anyway 
in the ways that I understand them to be in my life or that it was that they could be a possibility of the things that I was starting to go through because of where I was in my life. So, so all that, that is to say that as an African child whose heritage does not um, express those things, mm. even I was, was struggling from um, that wasn't, it wasn't something that I was allowed to quote unquote, to, to, be part of my experience, you know, just going off of what you said, not having the language to express it. Yeah. So I really do think also culture plays a humongous role. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, your lived culture. And speaking about culture, I want mm. us um, to kind of segue into stigma. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, I just want to, I do want to mention, um, because all three of our experiences are very different. Um, there is a difference between wanting to die because... Or wanting to commit, or wanting to, I hate the word commit suicide. It's very criminalizing. Mm. Wanting to take your life, um, mm. because you want to go to another realm because, um, yeah, they're like or buffets and cool shit and like get my titties sucked there. Uh, I think a lot of times, like, uh, also through therapy, one of the things that I constantly have to remind myself is that it's not so much that I want to stop living it's the fact that i don't think that i can operate and even pretend to be functional if that makes sense yeah okay yeah a huge difference Um, i agree and i think also just to add like there's also a difference between people who want to take their lives because they want pain to end or because they need, they, they want help and that's a way to ask is also very different from me recreationally considering death because it's also fun on the other side. So I think I just wanted to say that out loud so that mm. anyone with mental health issues or who's on, who is similar to me understands there's a big difference. Um, all are valid, but all are really different. Um, and that's like an important, that's just important to kind of flesh out as we're talking about death. I just want to add that. Can I ask a question about that to yeah. you, Mukundra? So um, last year when I was popping my pussy in Vietnam yes. and you were like, what the hell is going like, on? I'm done. So was that what you're talking about now where it was just like, you know what, there are buffets on the other side. Like, what yeah. is the point? Was it kind of that feeling? No. So the, my feeling now is that there are buffets on the other side. Like that's okay. my chapter of my life now. But I'm still enjoying the buffets here. Right. I'm quite enjoying them. Um, what it was before was that... My reasons, I, I didn't have, it's how life lost its color. Like it, right. the colors, the tastes, the smells, all the things that I'm here for yeah. to literally have fun. There right. was no fun. Right. And I personally equate, I decided that my existence is only for fun. Right. So the minute it stops being fun, um, I'm out. Mm. And so that's what it was. It was that not necessarily that there's a buffet on the other side, but that the buffet here is finished. Right. So now it's time to go to the next one mm. to eat there. Um, mm. Yeah. I mean, I was also going to say that one thing that I also would like to bring to everyone's attention, especially to the people who are listening, is that when we talk about language, because words have meaning and language is an incredibly, incredibly powerful tool for humanity to be the way it is, to create the worlds that it has created. And then also to see how so much is lost when a language is lost. Ooh. Is that so, for example, even in Urdu or Punjabi or Arabic, um, 
I don't know, maybe other languages around the world, like they may not have the postmodern word for anxiety or depression. But that's also because it's that mentality where they don't, these are cultures which have operated in a way which doesn't always just like use that band-aid solution for the symptoms it tries to go down to the root cause of things so for example uh there is i feel like in uh my culture there's such a good understanding of like cycles so for example like i remember when i was younger my parents would talk about a snake how a snake sheds its skin i think every year and how when you come across the skin, what you can do with it, how it's beneficial for you as a human, like for your eyesight or your health or this and that. And other things as well, like how there are certain cycles, like every seven years, I think the human body completely renews, like completely down to your very cells. Like it's not the same cells that were there seven years ago. The nail cuticles, the skin, the epidermis, everything. So... It's also these cycles which I view as uh, variations of death. Yeah. Um, and then also, like, um, today we'll say that, oh, like, this person is suffering from depression. Whereas I think the way certain cultures work with it is that they would try to not be like, oh, why is this person? Or It would be more about inquiry into what the source of the depression is, not yeah, so much symptomatic. that, like, this is what the state is. So, for example, yeah. the whole time that I was depressed, I would, like, when I would try to talk to my mom, and then I just, I realized that I couldn't talk to her about it because I felt like that she didn't understand me, which was very difficult because she's always understood me, Yeah, is... um. When she would say that, no, it's just negativity surrounding you or it's just uh, evil eye or it's just this negative energy that you need to or you just need to like pray more. And the thing is that it's not like it's not invalid what she said, but it also no, it's not the sole archetype that I can work with anymore or people who are of my generation like we don't have that same psyche or that mentality that is very kind of uh, focused on the holistic way of things for us it has to be a combination it has to be a very academic inquiry at times it has to be a very kind of uh, like medical inquiry you know which is just like down to just the text and the source and all of that and then on top of it maybe the spiritual and the religious inquiry can't just be like oh just go to church just go to the mosque just like open the bible or just open the quran and you'll be fine or just meditate like i remember like i that was another thing that was so debilitating was why i became so convinced that i needed to die was i would try to connect with god in all the ways that I knew how, Mm -hmm. and I became incapable. Like, there was a time where I couldn't even pray. And pray, praying is the only consistent thing I've ever done in my whole life. Yeah. And I could no longer pray. So then it became a thing of, I prayed for death. I was just like, I am not going to, I'm not going to have a L, and I'm not going to actively kill myself. Yeah. But that is not going to stop me from praying for death. So I prayed for death, Every single day, I think for more than a year, Mm. every day, I would just be like, I want to die. 
and it, I would actually visualize how I would want that to be in a way where there would be no outward signs that would point to she took her life yeah, and that it was a natural death. And then the following year, when in 2016, I actually did become hospitalized. Okay. And there were all of these medical reasons for it. And there was a diagnosis and the diagnosis would change and all of that. Like, uh, I knew what had happened. And I mean, I know it more certainly now. And that was the manifestation of my prayers. Yeah. And then, like, on top, like, it sounds very dramatic, but I feel like if you are a person who has experienced any of these things, you know that, I guess you start operating on a certain level or a certain frequency or vibrancy where you start manifesting the things that you have wanted, just as you would manifest a job or your grades by working hard at it or studying or applying for jobs and stuff like sometimes when all we can think of is I don't want to feel anymore yeah. you know we learn of very creative ways to numb ourselves be it like through drugs or alcohol or sex yeah. or maybe food and I had just like come to a place where I was just like this world is not for me so when I did become sick and I remember like this one night even like after like my surgery and everything and I was like the doctors were so confused and my poor surgeon <laughs> I feel for him <laughs> um <laughs> he was trying and I remember like one night like just trying to prepare my mom uh for uh my death and you know just trying to let her know that I loved her and all of that mm. and you know just being like you know when I'm not here and she just like broke down and she just started crying and that was that was the that was a really significant moment for me because she is an incredibly strong woman and to kind of see her standing there pleading for my life and just like asking me why I was uh talking the way I was it, I was just so shocked. I was just like shocked out of my need for death because I was just like, what? Like, because it's almost as if like I at that up until that point, I had become absolutely apathetic to how my death would affect other people. Mm. And I don't think that I was wrong for that because I hated the fact that the only reason I was choosing to live was for my parents yeah, or for my and even at that point, I remember like that night telling myself and telling God that actually I do want to live. Because up until that night, I was just like, I don't even know if I should like try to ask for help because I don't know if I'm supposed to be living. Maybe this is the way I will go and I should be okay with that. And it didn't make it like any biologically less painful, <laughs> but... It was just like this thing that maybe this is the way I'm supposed to leave the earth and that's okay. So I just need to, you know, kind of ride it out. Um, but I remember like that night I chose, I chose to live. And that is really important to me. Mm. Even if like someone were to completely disagree and say that, oh, this bitch is like off her <laughs> rails and that's fine. That's valid. But like that is super important to me because even now when I like end up in depressive spirals, I remind myself that I chose 
I chose life. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. very, very important to me. Absolutely. Um, Doesn't and do you feel I mean to me that makes all the difference, like the fact that you, you chose is it, is this the first was that the first time you felt you've chosen life? Uh, as actively as I did, yes. Because I no. Because I think it was the fact that I was so close to death that if I had not chosen life, I would have died. And so it wasn't the fact that it was the Mm. first time I chose life, but it was the first time that I had come so close to actually achieving something that I had been asking for for more than a year. And then I was so close. And then my whole, my whole Mm. being was like, we are not going to do it. What we'd like to do is to do a part two with you, maybe then another time, another hour, Mm -hmm. um, because this is really insightful and we do need the time to flesh things out with you. Um, And we'd also love Mm -hmm. to discuss, so loads of people wrote in and told us about why they have considered um, committing suicide or what they think about um, suicide and death. And we want to kind of read out those opinions Mm -hmm. and then all of us discuss together. So I think for now... um, we should probably close off. And is there anything, because we'll probably have a break between the next time we record, but between you, Ushba and Yak, is there anything you want to hear from the listeners or you'd want the listeners to contemplate so that we can kind of pick up on next time? Uh, yes. So there are two things that I would like to um, say before we um, sign off. And the first thing is that I'm not, saying this because I'm afraid of uh, public criticism or I'm afraid of uh, being misinterpreted because people who Mm. have not suffered from anxiety or depression or suicidal thoughts, unfortunately, they can't empathize. There are very few who I know Mm. who can, but a lot Mm. of them can't because to them, it feels like a choice. It feels like an attitude and I know this because before I was in the throes of my mental illness I was the same person I was not a very empathetic person um so this to anyone who has ever suffered from suicidal ideation from depression from anxiety firstly I am so sorry that you do it is incredibly testing and trying and painful And I would never wish that upon anyone. But the fact that you do also makes you more empathetic. It really, really does. Mm. It it does create a space for absolute compassion, which is really needed in this world. And then the other thing I wanted to say is that don't kill yourself. It's not because I'm trying to like backtrack on everything that I said what I shared here today was my experience and my relationship with death, but it's also my relationship with life and it's constantly reaffirming yourself and the fact that you deserve, mm. you deserve to experience this, the good and the bad. I think we wouldn't be so fucked up in the head if we were more accepting of the fact that living also means going through it. Like, it isn't supposed to be all, like, a highlight reel. You're not supposed to, like, 
That's true. Your experience should not be your Instagram wall, like, or your, you know, whatever. Like, it's it's everything, right. everything. Yeah. Um. So it's not asking you to like kill yourself or to like give up on life. It's saying that as bad as it is, there is a transformation in, like happening, and you, and you will. And if you know someone who killed themselves or who took their own life. They did not do it because they were weak. They did it because they were in excruciating pain, which is really hard to communicate. Yeah. It is It is just so much pain that mm. there are no words for it. And, and that's so that. Much. That's important. Um, and then the second thing I wanted to share with um, <clears throat> with you is a poem that I wrote. I think this was right before I got sick in 2016. So this was in, I wrote this poem in August 2016. And uh, soon after I got sick and then I got fatally sick. But even up until that point, I remember... Uh, trying to understand uh, why I should live, what is the purpose, mm. why should I live for someone else or for myself. And um, this poem is called Complacency. So this is how it goes. <clears throat> to live for anyone other than myself, this is the tragedy that one too many of us know. Shatter our soul shatter our souls for pursuing validation through a self-immolated existence is slicing wrists open really any different than the psychological warfare that is me killing myself growing up to stifle out the light that shapes me to be me that has shaped me not to be you so there is a separation of breath when coming together as we so you say that to live for my vitality, to nourish my sanity, is too idealized an existence, too unfettered you will be. For you view my efforts not as the unfinished poem, as my tears stain me to be. You view my existence as a slight to yours, so much so that my inexistence is viewed as more damaging to your sense of morality than at my attempts at clarity. Beautiful. Yep. Very well said. That is stunning. Mm. Wow. Thank you so, so much for that. Thank you. Do you have you have you published that? Like can uh, we link no. it? You haven't. <laughs> uh I can publish it and then yeah, you can link it. If you'd like to please do so we can put it in the description box because that is that's beautiful. Yeah, I can send it I can send it forward to you. Yes. Thank you. I actually wrote that as a poem to my therapist because I was so desperately trying for her to understand why I wanted mm. uh to die mm. and I mean God bless her she was a really good one because she was never trying to suffocate my inquiry. Yeah. You know. Even though, like, she wasn't really able to answer my questions, she never tried to push me away from them as well. Mm. Um, so, yeah. 
Thank you. God bless therapists. Yeah. Wow. God bless go the to good therapy, ones. guys. Sure. If you can, if you can afford it, definitely then go for it. Yeah. All of us, yeah. yeah. And before you have an, uh, a concern yeah. too. Um, thank you, thank you so much, Ushba, thank for being you. here. And um, thank you for having me. Thank you. Anyone who is listening, please do send in any questions or comments you have for Ushba or any of us. Um, you can DM. Uh, well, I guess me and Yak. Uh, do you want people to DM you, Ushba, or rather not? Yeah, you can uh, follow me on Instagram because, guys, I post the most bomb selfies. You do. Oh, yeah. Um, the selfies are wild. <laughs> I'm going to link Honestly, it. Honestly, like, Fendi Beauty just needs to send me those products because, wow, I'm doing way too much free promotion for Rihanna. I know. Um, no, you're and that bitch good. won't even pay me. I know she'll just shame me into paying her. I'm so um, dead. And, uh, yeah, I hope that this helps. Oh, it absolutely does. Yeah. This was so insightful. Um, so please send in comments, questions to any three of us, and we'll pick up with part two with Ushba. Um, and thank you for listening. And we hope this has been affirming or interesting, or you can relate, or you've learned, or mm. that if you've disagreed, at least it's pushed you into a space of thinking of something mm. um, that you didn't before. So thank you so thank much. You. Thank you all. And until next time, ladies. Yeah, until next time. <laughs> <laughs>